Esports is one of the fastest growing industries in the world. And this is the podcast where we talk all things branding, marketing, sponsorship, and events. I'm Rebecca Langawa, founder of Happy Warrior, and I'm an esports brand builder and strategist. Join me as I discuss the world of marketing and esports with some of the top experts in the industry. Welcome to the future marketing in esports. Hi, everybody. Welcome, my guest today, Ryan McCumber. Ryan is the founder and CEO of Sports Tech AI. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Rebecca. How are you doing today? I'm great. Great. Nice to catch up with you. I'd love for you to share a little bit about what Sports Tech AI is. Sure. So previously, I was at KPMG and I was in a, a global, the global head of Sports Tech for KPMG. Within that role, we did now, I was based out of the Australia office. I was actually in Australia for about 10 years, setting up their telco media entertainment practice and management consulting. And you know, we started moving more into sports tech on our side, including esports. And in that global role, I was traversing in Europe, Asia, all over the place, and we're focused on both esports. Our Japanese office did a lot of work in esports. And I resigned after about, let's see, two and a half years in that role. And I decided to go on my own. I had 18 years in management consulting, focused entirely on the media entertainment sector. And the last few years were dedicated 100% to sports tech. So I launched Sports Tech AI and, and we kind of have three pillars. One pillar focuses on advisory services to start leagues, teams, federations. And within that, I do one-off projects, done a bunch of kind of one-off projects for a, a Saudi Arabian telco that won the move into East, a bunch of other esports projects that we've done. Another pillar is a conference series, which Rebecca, you actually spoke at back in Toronto in 2019. That conference was called FIST, Future Innovation Sports Tech, which was basically to put sports, tech, and esports under the same roof because previous, prior to the pandemic, many sports executives, they knew it esports was, but they didn't really know it. And yeah. they really, there were tons of esports conferences and tons of sports tech conferences. And, and the gap that I noticed, there was nothing that kind of brought the two together. Yes, at sports tech conferences, they talked esports, but it was always secondary, kind of like the, the sister or the stepchild. And at the esports conferences, they were really focused on esports. Um, obviously, since the pandemic hit, that's changed. You know, every single sport executive out there knows exactly what esports is now because there was nothing else going on in the world at the time. So the conference series was kind of put on hold, looking to potentially bring that back. And then I also have been running an accelerator for the Hype, Hype Group, which had an eSports vertical associate to it. So basically what I do in, in short, it's advisory services, but sometimes it's directly for startups, sometimes club federations. One functionality is the accelerator I run and then the conferences. Awesome. What, you know, could you describe what is sports tech. Some people like that seems really over their head. What is sports tech? Yeah, I guess the way I start to describe it is kind of where did it start from? And the history all goes back to really Moneyball and Billy Bean and analytics and, and analytics evolving, which was really a numbers driven game. And in order to use numbers, you really have to start using computers to crunch the numbers. And once you start using the computers and there's some sort of software that comes with it, and that all started on the high performance side. But once you start talking numbers and data, you start talking customer experience. And then you start talking, how do we deal with fans? Then you start dealing with 
know, I think the topic of your show is how do you do with advertising mm-hmm. and the ROI on that advertising? How do you measure it? How do you target it? So really, it all it all really started with analytics. So I would say sports tech, the way I define it to friends and family who still have no idea what I actually do, but they didn't know what I did in the consulting world anyway, um, in management consulting for the telco space. It's really, you know, watching sports on your phone, targeted ads that come to you, the gamification that's now taking place, um, betting on the phone. So it's all kind of all the above playing esports on your phone, playing video games on your phone. A lot of it has to do with the phone, but it's not just phone related. It can be the computer, um, watching at home, all the streaming, you know, at the end of the day, Amazon sports is sports tech. So when you start watching sports on your surface and you're watching a baseball game, I could call that sports tech because they, you probably notice they're throwing up on there, you know, different polls, different things, almost like what Twitch does. I kind of call sports tech the way I describe it is everything technology focus, big data, software, think of an app, you know, all that to me is sports tech and it includes smart stadiums and going to the stadium as well as you know, the digital side of it. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. That was really a great way to describe it. And I love that you started with analytics because working in traditional sports, you saw entire data analytics departments. And now what you're seeing is roles and a variety of roles dedicated to innovation and really creating purpose around what is next in innovation on the front office side, like you said, with fan engagement and really building community in in and out of arenas and stadiums, but then also on the performance side, like you mentioned, when it comes to the teams themselves, recruitment platforms and scouting platforms and measuring results and figuring out, you know, how do we help our athletes become the best and how do we track and measure and, and, and qualify and quantify those, those types of things, which is really exciting. I, I would love your take on really the, the emergence of esports, you know, coming from the, the sports tech side for so many years. When did it get on your radar and the radar of the people that you consult for? Yeah, so my radar personally, a, a probably the caveat that I'm not a gamer. So I wasn't familiar with it. You know, obviously I'm familiar with Madden and NBA 2K, but I don't, I don't play those games. I played them when I was younger, I played Technoble, that sort of thing. And I probably could have made esports and Pac-Man. I was really good when I was a kid, but I'm not a gamer. So I, I knew it was out there. Um, when it started to come on my radar, it was really when on, on the conference circuit back in 2015, 16, 17. And, and while I was at KPMG, we launched a thing called the Sports Analytics World Series but also attending stuff like, like leaders and the MIT Sloan conference, where they start to throw up numbers and you know, there's always a topic was on esports. And when I first started hearing that, you know, the league of legends got more fans following it than the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and, and you start to see, you know, the, the dollars that are being thrown out there. And then it's really when the sponsorship starts to go that way. So a lot of the clubs that I've been talking to, and, and one was the, a football federation in Europe, I'll, I'll refrain from saying their name, but a, a large federation of a smaller country, but a very proud federation, they were seeing that their sponsors were leaving them for both music festivals and these esports tournaments. And they were even saying, do we need to get into this esports thing? Do we need a team? And, and yeah, we're familiar with FIFA, but do we need to do something more? Mm-hmm. Do we need to look, quote unquote, cool to the younger kids so they may appreciate our brand, so to say? So yeah, for me, it was back around 15, 16, 17 that it started to appear on my radar. 
And I think that's kind of almost when it started to become more formalized with all the bigger events and bigger tournaments of what was going on. It's been going on for many years. I'm very familiar. It's been going on since the 2000s. I just wasn't around back then. And our, our colleague, Wim, always tells me, you know, he was there on day one. But yes, yeah, so that's started appearing in my radar. And then as I, my primary focus is on the sports teams and clubs and, and all of them are asking, you know, what do we do? And, and some are doing more, some are doing less. If I just look at within the football world, football being soccer and more European and South American clubs, you know, and I have an alliance that I put together. We're up to about 32 clubs now. We talk about esports all the time. Some clubs have teams in League of Legends and, you know, Smash Brothers and other things. And they actually are funding teams and it's being very successful. Others don't even have a FIFA team yet. You know, they're still on the fight. It's easy to have a FIFA team or do something in FIFA. And it's, that's the easiest kind of toe in the water. Mm-hmm. But how do they go beyond that? And how do they start to look, quote unquote, cool? And how do they start to bring more to their sponsorship? Right, right. And I also think, you know, it's just a natural evolution of staying relevant and being able to weave in whether it's tournaments or different activations into their existing strategy so that they can stay relevant and and remain attractive to that to that younger generation i know some of the newer stadiums that are being built are being built with the esports activations in mind as well, which I think is probably a very, a very natural evolution. Yeah. Yeah. One, one of my previous clients, Tennis Australia, they brought in, I forget what the tournament was, but they brought in two nights a week. They had some massive tournament going on there, but you know, it was during the tennis and they brought in the one main stadium and they had a huge tournament. I forget what it was, it was about two years ago, but you know, how do they, at the end of the day, it's what the younger generation is doing. And it's not just esports. It's also, I mean, you're competing with, you know, their bandwidth of going to festivals or going to other things and other things that they're doing. How do you get them to come to a, a baseball game, which is quote unquote slow and boring? How do they stay relevant? And how do they, you know, how does the Major League Baseball come out with new home run derby and, and VR competitions and, and a baseball game? Because traditionally that's probably of all the sports, probably the least one that probably the kids are playing. Mm-hmm. And what are you seeing on the accelerator side when you're working with some of these startups? Are you guys seeing when you put a call out for for startups to apply to your accelerators? Are you seeing the esports tech startups numbers growing in applications? Absolutely. So we started the the hype global virtual accelerator during the pandemic. And what we initially started, I had a vertical for clubs and federations. And then my colleague, Borja, was leading a vertical on esports. And overall, we had 1,500 applications. I think 400 of those were targeted to esports. We ended up picking, I think, 15 for last year's vertical. This year, we had seven different verticals. So we had a vertical on media broadcast, a vertical on clubs and federations a separate vertical on winter sports, a separate one on betting. We did, again, we had an esports one. We had the same amount of applications. Some of the, the cooler ideas without giving away the, the idea of the startup, but a lot of it was around high performance. How do we treat the player, the gamer as an athlete? And how do we measure their brain and measure their functionality, measure their hand-eye coordination? And how do we start applying this to them? 
Um, that was one side of like high performance stuff we saw. Mm-hmm. And the other stuff was dealing around, you know, advertising and targeting and, and how do we even, you know, one of the things is really cool. You're watching the video game, but they can change the ads for the people that were watching the game. I, that kind of blew me away. So, you know, you're watching a, a, a shoot 'em up game, the guy scanning on the wall, the guy playing the game doesn't see an advertisement. Those watching the game sees a McDonald's advertising on the wall behind it. And that was just, you know, it's, once you start to get into that metaverse and things that can change, um, it just got fascinating to me in my side. So we were seeing all kinds of, you know, across the board, we saw all kinds of innovation. And the accelerator itself, how do you guys, how do, how is that run? And how, how are you working with these startups? Yep. So it starts by partners and what partners, what problems and challenges do they have? So in the esports side, our partners were ESL, GenG, ESTV, SK Game. Probably going to miss a few here because it wasn't my vertical, but those were the big ones. And in the clubs and federation side, we had stuff like the Bundesliga, the French national team, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Minnesota Vikings. And we had one team per, per sport pretty much around the world. So it starts with what are their challenges? What are they trying to solve for? So again, the partners would tell us, we're looking for these three things. We need things around AR, VR. Or we need things on stadium innovation. We need things around contactless solutions for when our fans come to the venue. Um, whatever it may be, we would take that list and roll it up and push it out to the market. And between the hype engine, myself, and the other program directors, we push out, do you have ideas to solve for these solutions? And then we wouldn't tie a solution or a challenge directly to a partner. We keep it anonymous, but we'll list out, you know, here are the 30 quote unquote challenges. And here are the 30 partners and these partners are looking for it. And then we would sort through the 1500 applications. I alone went through 1500. I did about 70 one-on-one interviews and we had 30 startups that we invited to what we call kind of the, the kind of preseason in essence, what was called bootcamp. Basically the startups then spend an hour each with all those partners, get to ask them a bunch of questions before they actually pitch. And then after they pitch, they get selected in what we call the draft. So mm-hmm. ESL would have drafted, I think they drafted four startups. Um, SK Gaming drafted five startups. Another partner was Sport5. Um, Sport5, uh, the, the previous logger there. So their esports version of Sport5, which is all focused on advertising. Now, that's what Sport5 does is put partnerships with the with ESLs with their big contracts. Um, they just got a new big FIFA contract. So how do they find sponsorships and ads and bring it into the the games themselves. Great. And then when they like draft them in, do they do beta testing and they're kind 100%. of like so they get drafted in and let's say on average, each partner drafts roughly five uh, minimum is three. We say you have to draft at least three and then they spend the next eight to 12 weeks working with those startups on what a proof of concept slash pilot could look like and scoping that out. Each partner's commitment to us, we don't charge the partners. So unlike a bunch of other accelerators out there where they charge the partners a lot of money, we think the partners should commit to us if they're going to do a pilot. And that time and effort is worth, it's almost more valuable than giving us $10,000, you know, agreeing to do a pilot with the startup. So then they, their agreement with us is they will select at least one pilot to implement. We're about to have our demo day come up in November and my number is exactly, I have 30 partners I have 75 pilots confirmed and 20 commercial agreements already signed. So on average, I'm getting like 2.7 pilots per So some partners have done three or four pilots. And like I said, 20 commercial agreements already signed, meaning 
they've done the pilot. It was successful. They've already signed a deal that has dollar value behind it already. And they're that's collecting awesome. revenue. Very cool. I love that. That's a, that's a really interesting model. So it's Shark Tank. Time. It's Accelerator slash Shark Tank. Very different. And it, it's what I like to say is, you know, and a lot of startups they go through. I know you're very familiar with Stadia, but you're a part of Stadia. I love Stadia. I think Stadia is the, the Rolls Royce. You, know, you have RGA, you have Stadia, Techstars, Indie, the lead guys. They're great at helping you take a company, form it, grow it, and get you from A to C. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help you scale the world quickly from a business development standpoint. So it's yeah. more of a competition. And a bunch of startups from our group, I think we've had five in this cohort came out of Techstars. Some came from RGA. So they actually graduated from that and came to do ours afterwards. And they said it's been a phenomenal journey to do both, actually. Wow. I love that. That's really cool. It does seem like that the natural next step, because a lot of times when I'm working with startups at Stadia, it's really kind of getting them ready to be in front of a potential client. Now you're placing them right, right at the doorstep and um, letting them work shoulder to shoulder. That's really cool. And just give you an example. We're going to have, I won't announce the names of there's probably three or four startups that won 20 pilots. I give one example, 20 pilots across eight, eight countries in five different sports. I use the word scale sanity. Mm-hmm. I mean, that literally to scale across eight countries and be in multiple sports and doing handball and volleyball and baseball and all these stuff, it's it's amazing for them. And they also, they're one of the companies that came out of a previous Techstars. And there were to me, including myself, because I was an advisor for them for the last five years, like, Ryan, we got more out of this three months than we got in five years of business development. And how often are you guys doing this program? Is it once a year, twice a year? Once a year. So we did it once. Okay. Hype GBA one last year in 2020. We did it this year, GBA two. I'm not sure what we're going to do for GBA three. We're talking through that. I'm not sure my involvement because I, I designed it and led it for them. I mm-hmm. may do something on my own, might do something with them. We're working through it. So we haven't okay. committed yet to what, what next year will look like. Awesome. I'd love to just hear your take on... What is happening in the sports betting scene and where you think the future is when it comes to esports and, and sports betting and daily fantasy sports? Yeah, well, I was just going to say the future ultimately is betting on esports and, and regulating that because right now it's the wild, wild west. Yep. And right now there's a lot of, I mean, you've seen a lot of fraud. You've seen, I forget what it was, but I saw some people try to cheat something and they got kicked out. I forget what it was, but you know, it happened. Let's just face it. So how does that get regulated? And if you look at the two big, they're not regulators, but like the genius sports, the world and the sports radar that do more betting integrity, they're absolutely starting to focus on esports. So I guess in general, my take on betting is, you know, if you're going to invest in betting, you're, you're definitely way too late. Um, I'm not saying not to do it, but you missed the big window. It's here. The U.S. market is going to be the biggest but you know, looking at the Australian market, which is the most betting per capita per person, and you can look there for what's been going on. And obviously in Europe, they've been betting from the beginning of time. So it's more mature there, but the US market, all the innovations happening here. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of the bigger companies, surprisingly, they're actually run by English or Australians that were doing betting back in their home countries. So all the innovation is coming here. Esports will be next, or it's happening now. Yeah. Um, but that is to me, it's, it needs to mature. 
And let's put it that way. It's just hard right now to even put lines and all that stuff out there. It's, you know, it hasn't been there for a while and it just, it's nascent, but, but that is coming. Daily fantasy, of course, that's, that was the precursor to your, your two big behemoths, drafts, kings and FanDuel that invented the concept of fantasy and then daily fantasy and everything else. But there's all the other, there's tons of, you know, just free to play predictive gaming. Mm-hmm. And all that's been famous. And that actually sits as much in my space on the fan engagement side as it does in the sports betting vertical. Because a lot of times there's not money trans, it's it's you know, it's free to play. Right. And you're winning merchandise, you're winning some last. But the reason why it's all happening and the whole reason why it's all taking place is all the data. Yeah. And all the data that you can collect from it that you can now reposition to retarget to upsell or cross-sell on merchandise or a ticket or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of getting two things at the same time, either reach out from the daily fantasy sports world, um, really looking to spend in the space with teams wanting to get their brand out there and willing to put dollars and some rev share even behind some of that. A lot of dollars. And then at this at the same time, getting some of these free to play, more fan engagement apps looking for money from the team in order to, you know, have something for fans to engage with. And, and I don't know if both can happen at the same time or where you really want your audiences to live and breathe. I don't know if I've necessarily figured out what the right balance is. Where are you seeing success happening? Yeah, so well, my, my comment there is, is there's a, a challenge. So the big behemoths, you know, DraftKings, your Patty Power, your points bet, they're all signing deals with each partner and your monthly night fights before, before they got acquired. You know, they're signing, uh, we are the betting partner of X, X team. These smaller, nimble startups that were doing really good work. One was in my, my cohort last year. It was called Flash Place. Right now, I'm kind of working with a company called Tally, which is in this. And they're both feeling this. One had a deal with uh, an NFL team. And then that NFL team just signed a big deal with someone else. And they said, look, they have their own free to play and we have to go with them. And they, they gave us a lot of money. And so the, the smaller player is getting pushed out. Another one I'm working with, there's also a lot of states in the U.S. that don't have betting yet. So those teams don't have it. So that's where kind of that land grab is taking place where there is legalized betting. A lot of those teams are, you know, the, the market's not there anymore. So you might have a great product, but you know, the team just won't let you in because that big brand behind it has paid so much money. So I actually see, you know, it's those with the deeper pockets are going to win. Those big deeper pockets are also acquiring left and right, those really cool free-to-play companies. And there's an opportunity there if you really are differentiated. I would say that is almost one of the most saturated market, in my opinion. I probably see three or four different free-to-play weekly that come across my desk. And it's like, guys, this isn't that different. They all know it's so different. It's this and that. But at the end of the day, it's not. At the end of the day, the game might be different, but you're still competing for that dollar of that fan or that free to play time of that fan. And a club can't do multiple things that compete with each other. They can, but I don't, a lot of times they don't. And, and they don't want to, maybe they can have a couple of different ones that are really specific, but at the end of the day, you know, they can only do so much and they only have so much bandwidth. Yeah. What do you, what do you see as like big existing gaps that, that are relevant in the space that we need more you startups trying to solve, like what are the actual real problems that the teams and the properties and the leagues are looking for a solve to get to? Yeah, well, let's start with 
let's just call it tier one, tier two, tier one being your big, you know, major teams in the, in the U S versus tier two. There is still a massive gap just on, and I hate to say the word because I think it's, 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 it's ancient as CRM, you know, just understanding your data. Now, every big NFL, NBA team, they're usually there. But if you start talking colleges in America, you start talking soccer teams in Europe, not the Champions League teams, but kind of the, the middle of the tier English Premier League, um, La Liga, you know, not the, not the Real Madrid's of the world, but the, the middle. They don't even have a proper CRM system yet. So that whole digital transformation, they're just getting their feet wet on an app and data. So there's still a massive white space there. And still a massive white space. Think about all the colleges, all the minor league baseball teams, the G League. They all, a lot of was budget related, but it's so cheap now to have an app and data, but really trying to understand your data and monetizing on it and offering that fan engagement. So to me, there's still a massive white space there. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I mean, I think one is access to the technology and the second is, really training your staff on how to keep that most up to date. Cause I mean, I have a very unique name. Like my last name is extremely unique. So there's probably not duplicates in CRMs mm-hmm. when it comes to my name with our local sports teams. Yeah. But I do find even with the pro team that I worked for, where I was an actual employee, a lot of gaps where I'll get on a call list or an email list where they're trying to sell me and without a real understanding that I have deep relationships already within that organization, right? Mm -hmm. So where it's almost like there should be some type of a flag where when somebody already has a really deep relationship and, and a long history of a relationship, then somebody within that organization that you already know should probably be the person to reach out, even if they're not on that sales team, I think I would find more value in somebody reaching out from an organization that I know personally that says, hey, we noticed that you're not a season ticket holder. We've got this great relationship. We have this really long history. Like what, what can we do to like get you in the door and get you to, you know, entertain your clients here? Like, I think that would go a long way. I think there's definitely a gap in terms of you know, garbage in, garbage out, as people always say, right? Like who is really keeping those things? Who has access to keeping things up to date? And what is, what is success of a customer profile really look like within a CRM and acknowledging, like sometimes it's small touches. I worked with a wealth management firm that was really, really good at small touches and understanding when people's birthdays and anniversaries and, but doing something really personal and not like an email. I mean, it was like a handwritten note from a CEO or their wealth advisor that came with a very hand-selected gift and couriered to their home kind of a thing. Obviously the budget of a boutique wealth management firm is different than the budget for each individual relationship at a pro team. But there's just something to set about, you know, you can always scale things. It just comes down to being deliberate and intentional and like what information are you really tracking in about somebody so that they feel special, you know? And uh, that, that personalization, and by all means, I didn't want to come across it. All the tier one NBA NFL are doing it well. There are definitely a few that are doing it very well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that personalization and getting down to that, you know, when I, when I, when Ryan walks in the stadium, they know that Ryan likes wine, not beer. And they're going to send me a text notification. That there's a special 
on Napa wine at some kiosk over to the right, Mm-hmm. that's when it gets to gold and starting to understand that, wow, they actually know me and I'm going to go buy this and right. there's a discount on it and understand that personalization and starting to look at, I, I know the club you worked at before and all the others, a lot of them, not many there, just one single only. They, they have another team. They have a women's team. They have a G league team. They have an esports team. How do they combine all that data together? And, yeah. and how do they really understand those customers and their customers needs? Right. Yeah, I mean, I've had some pretty awesome moments where I had I had tickets, premium tickets in like a club lounge area. And there were a couple moments where my ticket rep would send me a text during the game saying, hey, we've got two seats center court, th- three, four rows back, and they're just sitting empty. Do you and your guests want to come down? I'll transfer this over to you right now. I mean, that to me is like, that that's it right there. That makes you feel really special and important. And now you've got, you know, I was already in a really great space, but now I'm in what would be like that next tier up. Right. And experiencing that and feeling that I think goes a really long way to not only like a renewal, but even thinking about upgrading kind of where you are within that experience and the experience are giving that client. Yeah, I love the experience, the personalization example of that, but I'm going to give a, a plug to one of my startups in the current cohort called Love Seats, which is actually solving a similar problem like you just said. It's, it's a brand new market, so I want to talk about it. It's the third ticket market that doesn't exist. We all know StubHub disrupted the secondary market, you know, transfer back and forth besides the primary market, but this third market that no one's thought about, it's I'm at the stadium. And I need to leave early. I'm at a baseball game and my kids wanting. I'm at an esports event. I'm at an esports venue and I'm going to leave early. And you can now resell your ticket to someone else. You can be rewarded for leaving early and someone else can buy it. And someone inside the stadium can now upgrade and move around. Love and that. Go to different seats. Yeah. We've been doing this for baseball. They have a new ticket called the three seat ticket where you buy three innings in one view, three innings in somewhere else and three innings somewhere else. So they're kind of breaking up. It's it's really revolutionary, and and they just started in Vegas. So if anyone out there listening to this is going to be in Vegas, they're live when the Raiders and the Vegas Golden Knights, and they start off in baseball. But they're going to be expanding, and it's a brand new. Like I said, it's they call it the third market. It's yeah. pretty cool. I I absolutely think that's brilliant. And we had a startup going through Stadia years ago, and really successful. They 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 end up selling. They were called Upgraded. Do you know those guys? I do. And they, yeah. they did recently sell and they're with a bunch yeah. of NBA teams. Yeah. Um, when I first, when I first heard their name, I assumed that that's what it was going to be where you can like come to come to the game and you can like get upgraded, like upgrade your seats by seeing what else is available and, and moving through. But it wasn't, that's not what they were. But I always thought that was a really cool idea. I'm glad that somebody's solving that because even working like, you know, years ago, working in the NBA you would naturally have people start leaving a game and other people just filtering down where they don't really belong there, but they're kind of doing it. We've all gone to a better seat. We've all snuck there. Yeah. Yeah. I was great at it, but with the pandemic and now they're stricter and can you go here, there, 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 they want to, and and let the club make money off it. For sure. Let the person leave, make money off it. There's no reason why you can't, can't all take a piece of pie there. Yeah. And I love like some of the apps that I have right now on my phone. Like I'm a wild season ticket holder for our NHL team here. Mm-hmm. I do have the ability right on my app to 
go ahead and put my tickets on the on the secondary market if I want to right from my app. It's a really great seamless experience. And I transferred tickets this weekend for a game that won't even be until the end of November, but I know that I can't go and it's my friend's birthday. So I was able to transfer him both of those tickets this weekend when I saw him and it just happens in like seconds. Right. And, And I do recall when when I was at the Timberwolves and they went to flash seats, there were a lot of people who were really upset about it because they really liked the tangible physical seat, like ticket. They couldn't imagine like not having their physical ticket. And now I can't imagine ever going back to having physical tickets and trying to coordinate, getting them to the person and waiting in line to put them at will call or waiting in line for somebody, somebody else waiting in line then to pick them up from will call. It was just like such a nightmare. It's actually a law in Belgium. It's a law to have a paper ticket. Um, yeah, I, I was doing a digital transformation for them. I was telling them that the whole everything's moving to digital. Like we can't do it. I'm like, you can't do it. Of course you can do it. Like no, it's the law. I'm like, well, change the law. Like, change the law. It first, <laughs> the Belgian government's always a mess. Like it, uh, maybe with the pandemic, it's been accelerated. But but yeah, yeah. I was just shocked that it was the law to have a paper ticket. Well, even just like the the you know the printout of the tickets and being able to verify is even a legitimate ticket. Yeah. You know, but there's there was, a company, a startup out there that that will actually give you a ticket, so you still have that memorabilia because people still want that. Uh, there is people. So I, I was at Game Seven of this. Right now, you went, but it's all digital. So yeah, they can still print something out for you from that, and they're selling that. And now maybe it's probably even an NFT. I was just gonna say, there's a great <laughs> NFT opportunity right there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So what else are you seeing on the on the on the cusp of innovation? Is there anything else? Yeah, so I guess, you know, the ticketing side, the betting side, those are always the, the, the hot topics we're seeing, but it's also on, on the streaming side. So as everything is moving towards streaming, all the offsets that can come with it, you know, all the different, you know, layers on or different things you can do. I'm also seeing on innovation, actually, the company, our, our cohort of how do they get that stream faster? Because right now you talk betting, the streaming is usually delayed. A lot of people have cut the cord. So they're watching on a delay and how do they get it faster and more real time? So you don't have those betting inefficiencies. So, mm-hmm. so that's something I'm, I'm seeing out there. But yeah, no, from my side, it's, it's really, especially on the, on the clubs and federations, it was, it was really more around fan engagement, anything contactless, yeah. you know, anything contactless, fan engagement, involving data. How do we monetize our fans? Mm-hmm. Well, I'd really love to learn more. If you ever, if you want to shoot me over information on any of that technology you mentioned, where the ads could be changed based on based on audience viewer, you know, thinking about on the esports side, how do you continue to grow in assets and have assets for brand partners? It's still pretty early. There's, you know, there's a ton of interest, but there's also a lot of open assets with teams. As as the demand gets greater for more brands to get involved, like how do we continue to evolve? So I think that to me is like a really big takeaway. I'd love to learn more about that technology. And then how do people get engaged with what with what you're doing? How can they how yeah. can they follow you? How can they apply to your to your accelerator? Yeah. So what, what I would suggest is twofold. One would be to connect with me on LinkedIn, Ryan McCumber. I think I'm one of the only Ryan McCumbers on there on, on LinkedIn. And then the other would be to follow Hype Sports Innovation. And we actually have our demo day coming up in November, date to be determined. But it'll be all the partners. And what we do it is it goes partner by partner. They'll talk about and partners is either a club and it could be ESL, SK Gaming, and there'll be 
one day focused on esports, and we'll be partner by partner on who they drafted and what they implemented and what they learned and what the results were. So they'll be basically talking about that case study. And for any other esport team or club out there, you might see something cool and say, wow, I should, if SK Gamings do that, maybe I should do it. Or if you're a competitor at ESL and something you see that ESL is doing, you can go back and, and do that yourself. So, so I would be paying attention to that. I'll be making an announcement on, on my LinkedIn and, and it'll come from Hype. So just kind of follow the two of them, look at them, and then pay attention to what's going to be announced between now and Christmas for what we're going to do for 2022. Awesome. We'll be doing something for sure. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing um, your insights and what you're seeing. You know, you always have your finger on the pulse of what's to come in innovation and on both the sports and esports side of the tech world. So I really greatly appreciate you coming on and um, sharing sharing what you're seeing out in the out in the world. Thank you very much, Rebecca. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank thanks, you. Ryan.